go to Matthew chapter 8. Let me tell you right off the bat, this is going to be different uh, from from what I'm used to anyway. Um, Probably different from what you're used to from me. Um, I want to uh, approach uh, the subject of the incarnation of Christ uh, from maybe a theological angle that um, is maybe a little bit different. if you were this summer, if you were in the theological foundations uh, community group, uh, this will be old hat to you. Um, maybe it'll be reviewed. But um, here's the the thing: you ha- we have the um, we have this thing in Christianity where a lot of times we accept uh, certain things that are are taught, um, and we just kind of take it at face value. And then there are times when those things get questioned, and we're kind of caught off guard a little bit. Um, and uh, maybe just some things that are just a part of the, the lingo of Christianity and all that kind of stuff that um, it definitely is important that we explore some of those things and not uh, always just assume that we know what things mean. And so, you know, the, the first coming of, of the Messiah uh, is, uh, is you know, the incarnation, God with us, uh, him leaving, Jesus leaving heaven and coming to earth. Um, and one of the things that that we talk about a lot is how uh, Jesus was fully man and he was fully God at the same time. Um, and, and so he was completely human and completely God, uh, all wrapped up into one deal. Um, which, at, at first presentation, most of the time we're like, okay, that's cool. Um, but I just kind of want us to push into that a little bit more and kind of see why that's such a big deal that we uh, understand what that means. Because I think... Um, we, we have to look at what has been revealed to us through the Scriptures because everything that's in the Bible is there for, with a reason. And so there's something, there are just things that we need to know, and sometimes we don't always know those things unless we push into them a little bit more. And so uh, we're going to look at, at how Jesus was fully man and fully God at the same time and kind of how that, how that works and how that kind of brings up some things that look like contradictions and that kind of stuff or whatever. So this is going to be a little bit like a seminary lecture or a theology lecture or whatever. Um, like the overwhelming majority of what I'm going to bring to you comes from a book called Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem. Uh, it's kind of like one of the standards or whatever. And so um, if you want to learn more, read more, I would encourage you to buy the book. It's about that thick. And uh, just dive in there. Have a good time. Um, so uh, I borrowed a lot of this stuff from there uh, as far as the you know presentation or whatever. So if you'd like to take notes... Um, There'll be like you can make all the bullet points you want and all this kind of stuff and all that. Now there's gonna be a, uh, we're not gonna turn in the Bible a whole lot, but I just need you to us to just be in agreement that uh, I'm not pulling this stuff out of thin air and I'm not gonna give you every reference because we'll be here all night. But if you want to see them, if you don't believe me or whatever, you want to see where they are, you can come look at the notes afterwards and stuff like that. So so here's the deal: we're looking at at Jesus's full humanity and then his full deity, and then like what, kind of like a well, what about this? Okay, so here we go. Jesus' humanity. Um, these are some of the, some of the points that Grudem makes um, that he brings out. Uh, he kind of narrows down to a couple of, of very important things about the humanity of, of Christ. The first one he brings out uh, 
is is like is the virgin birth. Like um, Jesus was, he was born, he was birthed, like you and I were, um, like every human is. He didn't like, you know, they didn't discover him in an asteroid in a field, you know, like Superman or something like that. He didn't just like appear and walk up one day. Like he arrived on the earth the same way you and I arrived on the earth. He was birthed, and uh, you know, some people think that the virgin birth is not that big a deal. Uh, you know, or it's kind of a one of those things like, oh, you know, even with or without it, Christianity is still the same. I think it's a big deal, um, mostly because in Isaiah 7 it says the virgin will conceive, and then uh, in Luke and Matthew we see that the virgin conceived. And so I think even just from an Old Testament pointing to the New Testament, that aspect of things uh, I think it's pretty important. Plus you get into um, all the the purity of him being born sinless and all that kind of stuff and all that. But but the, as far as his humanity, the like the beginning point of the evidence that he was fully human was the fact that he was born, just like you and I were. Uh, the second thing, um, uh, he points out that, that Jesus had human weaknesses and he had limitations. And, and we see that in a number of places. Uh, first of all, um, if, uh, I think we have Luke 2.52 that we can throw up on the screen. This is one of, the, one of those verses that uh, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and favor with God and man. So you see, um, he increased in wisdom, so at some point he didn't know as much as he did as an adult. So he had to learn things, he had to grow physically, um, he had to get to know God, and he had to like, adjust socially to some things. And so uh, he had human weaknesses and limitations, and so um, Grunem points out these things, like he had a body, you know, so he was born, he had to grow. Uh, we know that Jesus was tired sometimes, um, we know that, that he, he slept at night. Um, he took naps during the day sometimes. Um, there were times when he was thirsty. There were times when he was hungry. We know that um, when he was being crucified that he bled. We know that um, when he found out John the Baptist was killed that he cried. Um, and uh, we know that he died on the cross. I mean, he was dead. And so there's, those are all like limitations that we all share. Um, he had a human mind. It says it said in that verse that he increased in wisdom. So, like, he had to learn to, like, read and write and probably add and subtract and all that, you know. Uh, he had to learn all that stuff. Um, he had to go to school, you know, at some point, And he had to, um, he didn't just, like, instantly know the Scriptures. He studied the Scriptures and he memorized the Scriptures and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, he just, he was normal in that sense. Um, he had a human soul and emotions. Uh, like I said, he cried uh, at that point. We know that in the garden, he was there was so much anxiety that he was uh, sweating blood. Um, we know that he was betrayed. We know that he was mocked. We know that um, in his, he went to his hometown and they all made fun of him and stuff. Uh, we know that he was frustrated. We know that he was full of joy. We know that he loved kids. I mean, we we know all these things. Like he had the full range of human emotion, full range of all the um, just the physical limitations that we all have. Um, even the fact that he grew older and older and older. Uh, is, is proof of that. And so, like, everything about him was completely normal and human. Um, when, I, when I was in Israel, there was one point, I think I've talked about this before, we were, um, we were walking along, we were about to hike up to the top of this mountain, and um, we're going along this path, you know, and there's, like, uh, there's like evidence that uh, animals go through here as well, you know. And so there's, like, evidence everywhere, and we're kind of like looking where we're stepping and stuff. And, um, and so we're going along, and our guide, he's like, by the way, he's like, this is the, this is the only ancient path from Galilee, where we were, to Nazareth. And uh, he's like, so, he's like, certainly, you know, this isn't the dirt, you know, from the first century. 
He said, but definitely, like, Jesus, like, this was, like, the view that he had. Uh, so, like, look up and see the two mountains. Like, Jesus definitely looked up at some point and saw those mountains. And we were just like, whoa, what the heck? Like, he was a, he was a dude. Like, he was a real person, you know? It just, it kind of, like, all just became so real at that point. And, and we hiked up this mountain, and it took, like, two hours, and um, it was probably not very safe. And so, anyway, we get to the top of this deal, and... Uh, it's, you know, it's like we're overlooking Galilee and the Sea of Galilee. It's all beautiful and stuff. And our guide's like, okay, this is Mount Arbel, you know, whatever. And um, he said, this is where rabbis would come to pray for their their disciples, uh, like who to call, and they'd come to pray for them and all that kind of stuff. And we turned the Bible and read to where the night before uh, Jesus began to call his disciples, like it says, he went up on the mountain to pray. It said, so, like, this is traditionally where the rabbis in the Galilee region, this is the mountain where they would go to pray for their disciples. So probably this is the place that Jesus came to pray about who to select. You know, we're all like, oh my goodness. You know, like, I cannot believe that we're, we're here, you know. And those kinds of little things so I just solidify the fact that, like, he walked the earth, you know. He, he breathed this air. Um, I saw a study not too long ago how they somehow try to calculate what the likelihood is that that the same air molecules that Jesus breathed at different points, like we would ingest, you know? Well, that's a great study, and the chances are really, really good. So uh, all those kinds of things, like he was totally, totally a human. Um, so uh, the virgin birth, uh, human weaknesses and limitations. Um, the third thing that, that he points out is uh, the fact that he was sinless. And how the Bible describes him as being sinless, um, which is... Uh, Kind of seems like a given in a lot of ways, but um, like you wouldn't describe deity as being sinless because that's, I mean, there's no God that is imperfect or whatever. Like that, there would be no need to even describe him that way unless he was a person. You know? So in Hebrews four, you know, it says that he was without sin all through the New Testament. I mean, he was the sinless, you know, sacrifice. And so the fact that he made it throughout his entire life without sinning, like, the only reason, way that would point that out, the only reason there would be a need to is if this was like a human. And so there's just all this proof that he was like, he was not only like a, a person, but he was fully a, a man. And, and that's important on a number of levels. Of maybe the most significant is that, that he, being fully man, was able to um, be obedient and be our substitute and go to the cross. If he was a half man, you know, or like three quarters or whatever, then he would not be like a, a qualified substitute for you and I um, when it comes to atonement. And so the fact that he was like fully man is super important for us. Because if you take that away, um, we, don't, we don't have our faith. Like our faith falls apart if that's not the case. Um, so he was fully human. Um, now, the the uh, other side of the coin would be the fact that he's a fully God. Um, now, wait, I forgot to tell you what to read. Look at uh, Matthew 8, sorry. Um, Matthew 8, verse 23. says, And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. That's a dude. He was tired. He was asleep. 
There's a storm outside, and what's the best weather to sleep in? Storms. He was asleep in the bottom of the boat. That's his humanity. We'll get to the other side in a second. Let's look at, at deity. Um, here are some of the things that Grudem points out as, as far as deity goes. Um, uh, one reason that uh, people think Jesus was God is because the Bible says that Jesus was God all over the place. So, uh, yeah, that makes sense. Um, uh, the word theos uh, means God, and that's used of Christ in John 1, Romans 4, and 2 Peter 1. Um, Kyrios means Lord. Okay, that's used of Christ in Matthew 13, Luke 2, 1 Corinthians 8. There's other places where it's this, called the Son of God, the Son of Man, or whatever. So um, all the terminology that's attributed to Jesus, like it's all, it's all like words that mean God or Lord or associated with deity. So um, a lot of people would, would like rule that out, you know, as like, you know, well, that's a, you, know, you can't prove yourself. The Bible can't prove itself if you use something else, you know, but... But for us, in our faith, the main reason why we believe he was God is because the Bible says he was God, and we have faith that the word of God is true. Um, and, and, and so that's the first thing. They're just direct claims. Um, but the second thing that Grudem points out is that um, he has all the, all the attributes of deity um, that, that you can you know, desire. Okay, so let me rattle off a couple of them. Um, we see uh, omnipotence. Okay, He is all-powerful. Look back in Matthew 8. Um, so when we, when we last left him, he was asleep in the boat. Uh, verse 25 says, uh, And they went and woke him up, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What son of man is this? Even the winds and sea obey him. All right? There's the omnipotence, okay? Uh, he goes from being asleep in the bottom of the boat, wakes up, like, you guys are wusses, and, like, just, it's done. Calms everything. So his omnipotence, his power over nature, um, in Matthew 14, there's the loaves and the fish, uh, fishes, fish. Uh, John 2, he turns water into wine. And so there's just, like, he just keeps displaying this power over nature and over, like, the physical substances and all this kind of stuff. Um, things that, that only God could do, would be, uh, him being all-powerful. Um, the second one, uh, that he's eternal. John 8, Revelation 22, talk about how he's existed from the beginning and he always will exist. Um, we know that uh, in the beginning uh, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So Jesus uh, existed at the beginning of the Bible. He didn't just like, he wasn't like, the moment of conception was not like when he came into existence. He has always existed, um, and we know that he left heaven and came to earth in the form of the you know, fetus or whatever. And so... Um, but the fact that he's like all, he's existed from the beginning of time and he will always exist at the end of time, um, that's only God does that. That's a, a attribute of deity. Um, the third one, he's omniscient. Um, Mark two uh, and John six and John sixteen, it like proves over and over again that he knows everything. He knows people's thoughts. Um, he knows everything that's going on. He, um, you know, there are times when like. Um, somebody's wondering something, and, and like he calls them out on it. Uh, he just he knows everything, all the time. Um, so omniscience is one of them. Uh, another one is omnipresence, um, where two or three are gathered uh, in my name, I'm there with them. Uh, that means like I'm everywhere kind of deal. Um, and so that's a conflict resolution passage. And so if there's conflict between two or three people, and they come together, and they um, in seeking to resolve the conflict, they involve Christ in that, and they're prayerful about that or whatever. That's what that verse means. 
He's saying, you involve me in your conflict resolution, and I'm going to be there. And so that means that he he's not like, well, I can't be with y'all resolving conflicts. I go help over here, so I meet with y'all in like 20 minutes and all that. Like, if if there are two or three gathered all over the planet at the same time, he's there with all of them. Um, Matthew 28, he says, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the age. I will never leave you or forsake you. You know, all those kinds of things prove that Jesus is everywhere all the time. Um, and so that's an attribute of deity. Um, sovereignty. Uh, in Mark 2, uh, he's like forgiving sins. Only God can do that. Only God can forgive sins. Uh, all through the Sermon on the Mount, he keeps saying, you know, you were taught this, but what I tell you is this. He keeps like uh, exhibiting this kind of authority that just freaks people out. Uh, that kind of sovereignty is an attribute of deity. Um, next one, immortality. Uh, John 2, John 10, Hebrews 7 talks about, uh, uh, you know, he says, you tear the temple down, whatever, and I'll, I'll build it back up. Uh, Hebrews uh, 7.16 describes him as having an indestructible life. An indestructible life. Uh, that immortality is an uh, attribute of deity. And the last one that Grudem points out, Revelation 19, Philippians 2, that he's worthy of worship. Um, that's, some, you know, that's reserved for God. Uh, so you have all these attributes of deity that we see on display in Jesus' life and all the claims of the Bible directly using the words about God to describe him and stuff like that. So there's all this evidence that's there that he was fully God as well. And that's absolutely crucial to us um, because uh, only God could endure the cross, you know, and the wrath of God and the sins of the world and all that kind of stuff. I mean, only, only he could do that. Only he could serve as that mediator between uh, us and him. And so, so, so there's like a real quick, you know, deal. Um, you look at Mark, uh, at Matthew chapter 8, like I said, his, in his humanity, there we see him asleep in the boat, and in his deity, we see him calming the storm. So we have both of those, those things that are existing, and I think, for the most part, like, Christians in general are, like, on board with that. They're like, no, no, he was fully God and fully man. Fully God, fully man. Okay. Um, you go back to Mark, uh, to Matthew 8, though, I mean, did he go from, like, uh, you know, asleep in the, in the boat being a, a man... And then they're like, hey, get up, you know, uh, we're, we're all in trouble. And then he, like, shift into, like, God mode, you know, to calm the storm. Or, um, you know, like, did he flip it on like a switch, you know, or did he have to, like, go into the phone booth and change and come out and, you know, do that or whatever? Or, or was he, like, half and half, you know, or was he, you know, was he kind of one foot in the human side, one foot in the God side, you know, whatever? Maybe that's not something that, that we really think about a whole lot. Um, but it, it surfaces as, as a contradiction. But here's, here's some other ones. Um, if you look, or we're going to put these verses up real quick. Uh, Colossians 1, 17 says, and this is talking about Jesus. It says, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Okay? And then Hebrews 1, uh, something else. One three says he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Okay, so upholds the universe, holding everything together. That's on the. If you look at the, the Trinity and you break down the Trinity and they each have uh, roles and responsibilities, that's Jesus's deal. He holds everything together and upholds the universe. All right. So how how is that happening? And yet he is a baby needing somebody to change his diaper. 
You know, like, how, how is that happening? You know, he's either a baby with a dirty diaper or he's holding the whole universe together. But how, has, I mean, did, for 33 or so years, did the universe not get held together? No. Kind of seems, you know, I don't know. How, how was he, um, how, was, how did he live in Galilee and yet he was omnipresent all the time? You know? How was he existing in Galilee, walking through the streets or whatever, teaching people all this kind of stuff, and resolving conflict, you know, in a, another part of the region? How is he doing that? Um, how, why would someone who is omniscient and knows everything, why would he need to grow in wisdom? Why would he need to go to school? Why would he need to learn how to write? Why would Luke 2.52 exist, you know? Why would he grow in wisdom if he knows everything? Um, if he is eternal, then why did all those people watch him die? You can't, you can't kill a god, Right? But he died, so does that mean he's not God? You know, what does that mean? Um, he said that he doesn't know the day or the hour when he's returning, yet he's supposed to know everything. So was he lying? You know, was he kind of just fibbing a little bit to kind of keep the charade going, or what? Um, when he went to his hometown, it says he couldn't perform miracles because of lack of faith. But I thought he was all-powerful. So these are these are like important questions, you know. If we think about it, like we need to understand how uh, like this these two things coexist at the same time. And I listened to a sermon on the way uh, to on the flight to the mission trip a couple weeks ago, and um, Tim Keller was talking about how you know how we as like Westerners and especially as Americans really struggle with things like this because like we are like it's either one or the other. It has to be one or the other. Now, in other parts of the world, they don't really wrestle with it as much. But in America, like, you got to know, you know, it's like we either have free will or God is sovereign over everything. Like, it's got to be one or the other, you know. Um, and I'm not talking about that tonight. So if you want to talk about it afterwards, though, I'd, I'd love to. But, um, but for us, you know, we see those contradictions and we're just like, those two things don't go together, you know. He's in the manger. How is he holding the universe together? He said he doesn't know when he's coming back, but he knows everything. Something doesn't match up. And so um, so it's important for us to know in our own understanding of Jesus, but also to be able to dialogue, you know, and stuff. And also it has huge implications for us in our faith. So um, here's, here's, here's where it comes down to it. Um, we, you know, obviously Wayne Grudem was not the first one to ask these questions um, for years and years and years and years, you know, this has been going on. And so there's a term that... Um, that you will probably forget uh, after tonight, but it's okay. Uh, it's called hypostatic union. All right? You'll dazzle your friends at work if you know that one. Um, hypostatic union, basically what that's saying is that, that Jesus Jesus had two natures. Okay? We, we are born with one nature. Um, Jesus had two natures. He had a human nature and he had a divine nature. And um, what Sowitz describes is basically two distinct natures that retain their own properties yet remain together in one person. Okay? Two distinct natures, human and deity, um, that uh, coexist in one person, um, yet they like each like retain their own properties. Okay? So, um, so here's kind of where, where, where that's going if we chase it a little bit further. So Jesus had, um, he was fully human, fully divine, 
Now, within each of those natures, there's a will, and there's a, um, they call it the center of intelligence. Not a brain. He didn't have two brains. Uh, but he had, like, t- two centers of, of intelligence, okay, and two wills and two natures. And so he had both. And so one thing we have to do is just accept the fact that, that he can be a baby in a manger and hold up the universe at the same time. Now, you couldn't do it. I, can, I can, definitely can't do it. But he was able to because he had two natures, and one of them was deity. And so there's just going to be like some stretching of our faith that exists with these, these kinds of things. Some people will say, how can you believe the Bible because of this and this and this and this and this? And a lot of times that whole argument is really trying to like eliminate the degrees of faith that we have to have. And I think we need to have an intelligent dialogue about subjects like that, but at the end of the day... We're not going to get away from things without having to say, I just, I place my trust in it. There are some gray areas and some things I don't understand, um, but I don't have to understand them. I'm not God. I believe that he is God, and I believe that that's enough. And so both of these things exist at the same time. So, So for some of those examples, you know, he's a baby in a manger, his Human nature was lying in, lying in the manger. His deity was keeping the universe together. Um, his human nature lived in Galilee. His divine nature was uh, omnipresent. Uh, his human nature had to learn how to read and write and learn all those kinds of things. Um, his divine nature was uh, omniscient already. Uh, his human nature died on the cross. His eternal nature was the God side of him. Um, his human nature didn't know when he was coming back and to return, all that kind of stuff. He wasn't lying. But his, his divine nature absolutely knows. Um, and uh, his, in his human nature, he was not performing miracles in his hometown, but it didn't mean that it doesn't throw out the omnipresent part. So the big, the big picture answer is that he was both all the time, 100%. Um, just all the time. He just co- they both coexisted. But here's, here's, where, here's where, to me, it really starts to come home. Because that's like logical right there, and you're like, okay, I can understand how he was both. All right. But how did that work, like logistically? You know, like was he constantly, you know, a Gollum Smeagol deal going on in his mind? You know, was he going? I, they want to know when I'm coming back, but I don't really know. Yes, you do. No, I don't. I know. I really don't. Yes, you do. You totally know. I don't know. Um. I hope not, because that would be a terrible way to live. But how'd that work logistically? Um, two two kind of things to understand within that. One, um, he always had, he was always both. Uh, he didn't, like, switch back and forth. He didn't adjust the percentage, you know. When he was um, asleep in the boat, he was still fully divine. When he was calming the storm, he was still 100% human. But this is where this is where humility comes in. And if you go to Philippians two and it talks about just uh, him, you know, leaving heaven, humbling himself, and taking the form of a servant, um, while both of those natures existed all the time, um, his divine nature was intentionally humbled as he ministered on the earth, and as he lived his life here. And so, 
what that means, and the, the best explanation I've ever heard comes from Mark Driscoll, who some people don't like, and that's fine. Uh, but this is a really good explanation, I think, and it's something like this. I've changed it every time I tell it a little bit. But Driscoll says, you know, Driscoll has, has kids, and he's like, okay, he's like, if I'm in the backyard with my kids and we're wrestling and stuff like that, he's like, I can literally crush them. I'm stronger than them, I'm bigger than them, I'm faster than them, smarter than them, um, and like it's just not even a fair fight. Like, I can just annihilate them. He says, but because I love them, and because I want to be with them, as I humble myself, I get down on their level, and I play with them on their level. You know, he's like, they wouldn't want to play with me if I was, I was just destroyed them. So, so as a dad, he loves his kids and wants to be with them. I humble myself. And that that's basically what Jesus did. Philippians 2, when it talks about him leaving heaven, and we talk about the incarnation and everything, he, he comes and he has these two natures, but he humbles the deity in him. And so what that means is that uh, he operates based on the guidance of the Holy Spirit, just like you and I do. And so on the leading of the Spirit, he acts on that divine nature. So you go back to him sleeping in the boat, sleeping in the bottom of the boat, comes up, and, and we don't know what the dialogue, you know, or like if he talked to the Spirit, if he prayed, or we don't really know. But he didn't shift into God mode. The, on the leadership of the Holy Spirit, um, those attributes of God that we talked about are are acted upon. So when the Spirit's like heal, he heals. When the Spirit says forgive those sins, he does. When the Spirit says calm the storm, he does. When the Spirit says walk away from this town because of lack of faith, he does it. Probably when the Spirit said, you're only 27, it's not time yet. He waited. And the Spirit said, hey, he was about 30, hey, baptism, let's do this. He did it. God said, that's my son whom whom I'm well pleased. And so this humbling of himself, and then on the Spirit's leading, he acts on like that kind of nature, to me that makes perfect sense as to why he can say, I don't know when I'm coming back, or he can say your sins are forgiven or whatever. And so he humbled himself. He lived with those two natures. And the Spirit says, do this, he doesn't. The Spirit says, don't do this, he doesn't. Do now to me, that's incredible. Because cause that's what you and I have to do, Right? And that's, that's daily life for us, is the leadership of the Spirit. And so, turn to, turn to Hebrews chapter 4. That's the leadership of the Spirit. That's your life, my life. And there's this incredible verse. Hebrews 4.15 we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, 
but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So, like we say, like Jesus has, he's been there, like he literally has been there. I think sometimes we tend to like make Jesus an exception, like yeah, yeah, but he was Jesus, yeah, but he was Jesus. But he was living under the same like sensitivity to the Spirit and the same reliance on the Spirit and the same guidance of as you and I. And so, like, the application for us is that like everything that we face, Jesus has like he's like I know how you feel, and he's not just appeasing us. He's saying no, no, I've I've been there. Like I know, like I know an abiding life. I know what that's like. I, I, that's what I did. I know it can be difficult, but that person says that he knows how to do it. And every temptation that we face, he's like, I've, I've been tempted there. And certainly throughout time, I mean, it looks different, but boil it all down to the same stuff. We can find every temptation that we face. In the temptation account in Luke 4, we can find the root issue there. He's like, I faced that. Sometimes I think we take that and we, you know, he's in the desert being tempted by the devil. We're like, yeah, he's Jesus. He can make it through anything. Yeah, he made it through because he abided and he just depended on the Spirit. It's, you know, there's this great line in the song. It says, he's, he's already been where you're going. I think when it comes to the incarnation, us understanding it, like we have an advocate there who is interceding for us who knows. And whatever you're facing right now, he knows. He knows heartache. He knows betrayal. He knows great joy. He knows confusion. He knows when things haven't worked out the way you thought. Um, he, he knows. He absolutely knows. He's been in the place where he's had to say, this is what I want, but what I want is not as important as what you want. He knows how difficult that is. And he knows how to make it through without sinning. And he lives in you, literally. And he will guide you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's what he does. So on Christmas Eve, we you know, watched one of the videos and it said, you know, because it's something to the effect of like Christmas isn't something that happened, it's something that happens. I think for us, you know, it's that's a part of the continual deal is that like life is forever different because Jesus came and as our intercessor and our mediator and the one who stands there for us, um, he absolutely knows. Absolutely knows. And so I hope that I hope that we are encouraged by that because that's every day till he comes back for us. That's every day. Every day. It says he lives to make intercession for us. That's everything that we face, everything you face, everything I face. Um, I, hope, I hope that that is encouraging to us. I hope that it pushes us forward. I hope, hope that it deepens our affection for Christ and our appreciation for him. Because he didn't have to do that. He came to this place and put up with all this stuff. And he just says, Come to me, all who are weary, heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. He says, just come to me. Let, me. let me love you. Walk in freedom. Walk in liberty. I said that the, I came to bring liberty to the captives and the sights of the blind and declare that you're the Lord's favorite. Let that wash over you. 
And so, uh, the guys, man, y'all go ahead and come back up. And so we're just we're just gonna sing a few more songs and just kind of maybe just let that just kind of sink down deep into our hearts. Maybe um, I know that uh, you know things are about to crank back up. People are about to start going to work again, all that kind of stuff. Um, maybe just maybe just tonight. This is like, the word cathartic keeps coming up. You know, to me, like maybe we just need a little bit of the cleansing from all the holiday time and whatever. But maybe this like incarnational talk for us and realizing who Jesus is and what he's come to do and the role that he plays every day and all that, and his heart for us. Um, maybe he just wants to keep just letting that just get into the parts of our minds and our hearts. So um, we're going to sing and we're just, we're not going to tell you this now. We're not going to tell you when to stand. So if you want to stand, you stand. If you want to sit, you can sit. If you know the songs, you can sing them. If you want to read the words, that's fine. If you want to pray, that's fine. It doesn't really matter. We're just going to let this time be whatever it's supposed to be. And then um, we'll wrap up in a second. Let me pray for us. Jesus, um, we're just always amazed at who you are and what you've done. Um, Just pray, Father, that that, that your will would be done across the room tonight. That you would encourage, that you would break, that you would replenish, that you would feed that you would stir up, I mean, whatever it is. Um, and this, everything is about you and centers around you. And so um, just pray that, that that would be where we are. And as we sing and respond and pray, that, uh, that, you, just, that you would do that, that you would lead us in paths of righteousness in these minutes that we have together tonight.